Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 17th of June, 2020, as it is my co-host and colleague, Nick Stoll. Welcome to you, Stollage. Great to see you, my friend. Great to be here and great to talk to Miron. Yes, and that is our special guest this week. We are absolutely delighted to have former A-League coach and a very experienced man across Australian football, so well known amongst the football community, Miron Blyberg. Welcome to you, Miron, joining us all the way from up north in Queensland. Thank you so much for your company today. Thank you, and I enjoy the clapping. You enjoy the clapping. You know what? I, yeah, I missed on. it. I, I missed it. You missed the clapping. You know what? I just said to you off air, and I mean this very much, so we miss you in Australian football. But the question is, does Miron miss Australian football? It's a, it's a tough question. Listen, if you're involved in something uh, most of your life, I started to kick the ball probably when I was three or four when my dad bought me a football for my birthday. So obviously you miss it, but I don't miss it in a way that uh, I want the game to get involved or whatever. I just like the game and, and I brought up on the game and it was part of my life and gave me good livelihood and uh, even may, gave me the citizenship of Australia because of football. So there's a lot of good things came out of football. Yeah, I think even my wife uh, chased me when I was playing football on the beach, you know, with a small speedo, but that's all. Uh, so football is... Uh, is connecting to my life, but uh, but I'm also happy now to be out of it. Enjoy my golf, enjoy my tennis, and enjoy uh, a lot of other things. What else are you keeping yourself busy with aside from your pension for golf and tennis? Um, you know, since you walked away from football, what's been your primary passion? I uh, morning I usually doing sport, as we said, golf and tennis. Evening, enjoying reading, enjoying going to the theatre. I even start to go to ballet and opera. You know, try to be more cultured. <laughs> well, you've got culture in spades and um, we're delighted that you could join us here today because there are a number of topics that we want to get to in Australian football. Of course, it's been the big topic at the moment um, about the state of the game and, and where it's been, where it's at and where it needs to go. But Miron, what have been some of your observations about um, some of the issues that we've been facing, particularly throughout this COVID-19 period? Uh, look, first of all, I was a bit... Uh... How do I put it? A bit disappointed with uh, our leadership, uh, FFA or whoever people there, because you're watching the news and and, and you you're reading the the, the media and, and the website or whatever, and there was all the talk about when the AFL will resume, when the the rugby league will resume, rugby union, even cricket, basketball, and nothing nothing from our about our game, and I at the uh, some stage, I started to, to coach in the national, the old national league in the age of 29, which was many, many, many years ago, right? And at that time, we knew that soccer, we are, we are second-rate citizens, right? But then come the era of the A-League, and uh, thank to Sir Frank Lowy with his uh, uh, power, you know, we, we were almost there, shoulder to shoulder with the other court. I'll give you just uh, uh, two examples. I remember, like, uh, when we... We play against Sydney FC and the week the day before the Roosters play, where Sydney FC against Raw have more crowds than the Roosters play against whatever, Pantries or, or whatever. So you see that, that, uh, that we have the crowd. I remember when we played the Raw against Melbourne Victory and there was next door the Wulangava uh, Test Cricket against Sri Lanka and we have more people. We have 18,000, they have 16,000. And that's the people that warm my heart and I was... Uh, I felt privileged because I, I remember the days when, when, when we were the walk board. And then all of a sudden, and now I think we're going backward. We're going backward. There's nothing, nothing mentioned. They're talking when they resume here, when they resume there. 
the head of rugby on the news, the head of Aussie rule on the news, and we, we now know what to be seen. I was quite disappointing from the whole. So first of all, uh, FFA, you know, uh, any publicity is good publicity. Even if they would have come and say, look, we're trying to, to put our act together, we do, but give us some news. Okay, we are football people and there are a lot of people like me. I'm now on the on the same stage as a supporter, you know what I mean? But a lot of people like me that love the game and, and, and nothing, nothing to be seen. So that's uh, regarding my critis- criticism about, uh, about uh, FFA. And regarding the, I believe, leading to this is the issue of the broadcasting, right? So I don't know if you want to touch it, but... You can. Look, Fox, Fox again gave great service and I was part of it when we started the A-League, great service and uh, to, to football, the same that uh, SBS gave a great service in the, in the previous day, you know, and, and, and the media is an important uh, part, and especially the money that's involved in it. And I just read the other day briefly, I'm not that into the details, that the Fox Sports said that they're giving a certain amount of money, which including also the production of the game, which means now I, uh, my logic, and it's now again as a supporter, I don't understand why we insist to televise every game, every minute of every game, right? There should be one game on Friday, one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday, and maybe do it like the FFA style, you know, that they give you gold from other grounds. But why to waste so much money on production if a game between a, a, a Pairs Glory and the Gold Coast, and the, what is name, Central Coast Mariner doesn't attract people, you know? So just pick the, the games that will involve everybody. When I was a coach, obviously I watch every game, but when, when I'm now as a supporter, I don't want to watch eight games or nine games. There will be 14 team leagues, seven games a week. Just pick the crop of the, of the games and have it. So less production, more money to the club. Everybody will be happy. Just, just an idea from a dumb person that's uh, watching football, you know? <laughs> so so that's, uh, that's the type. But I read also that uh, my dear friend Craig Moore wants to give up on Fox. You can't give up on sport because they will give us third-grade citizen, not second-grade citizen compared to Aussie Rule and Rugby League. We have to maintain our presence whenever we can. So we could take from Fox whatever we can and just uh, let them. Maybe SBS can participate in one game a week, maybe other channels. We have to find solution, but we have to feel to, to keep our presence because... When I was in the A-League and I was walking the street of Brisbane, everybody knew me. I'm not sure that even Robbie Fowler is 10 times more famous than me and, and no one knows about it. You know what I mean? Because the, the, the interest in soccer is the dwindling down. No good. No good. Mm, no good is right. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations, obviously, amongst us, Stolich and, and the various guests that we've had prior to me on talking about the broadcast deal. I absolutely agree with your sentiments around Fox Sports. They've invested, you know, now what's close to a billion dollars into the game since their 15-year partnership with the A-League. And I think it's just been a dying product because it's largely been neglected by the powers that be to give it the kind of support and resources and marketing that it deserves. Um, but Stolich, um, interesting claims there from Miron about potentially not broadcasting broadcasting every game if that's indeed going to to save us some money and um, what he was referring to earlier is that figure that's been tabled allegedly by Fox Sports is 11 million which does also include production costs so I mean when we talk about forecasting our future and what it looks like potentially without Fox um, you know could that be an option from your perspective not broadcasting all the matches 
Well, I mean, yeah, not every game has to be broadcast. I mean, for example, in uh, England, yeah, even in the Premier League, not every game is broadcast live. In fact, they have the 3 p.m. blackout. And there is an idea that it encourages people to attend games, not only kind of at the Premier League level, but at the lower league level as well. So it's an interesting idea. Um, But then I guess as well, the clubs will say, well, we need exposure. And if you need exposure, then you need to be televised on every game. I think as well, Miron, you said that uh, no one knows Robbie Fowler. That's because your press conferences were 10 times more entertaining than Robbie Fowler. Maybe if he brought out some of your mannerisms, he would be more recognized in the streets of Brisbane. Okay, thank you for this. But uh, again, on, on, uh, on this subject, you know, we have to find compromise. I remember that English, uh, uh, when we were kids and we watched English Premier League highlights, it was, it was uh, very entertaining because you saw the best and you saw the goals or whatever. So if, uh, if people will channel only to the best game in the A-League and the most entertaining game, it's also better publicity for A-League than to see games that no one is interested in. Mm-hmm. Which are, there are some, some of them. What do you feel, Miron, is the reason why there's been such a waning interest in the A-League, particularly over the last few years? What are some of the reasons you attribute it to? I, uh, I give you my answer and, and it will lead us to another subject uh, which, we want, which I would like to discuss. It's, I, I blame the club's owners, right? They're so much protective of their competition or whatever, and the competition is stale. And then we come to the issue of promotion relegation. You know, you, you're missing, you're missing the, the, the biggest part that attracting every, every football supporter and every football team. You know, teams that on the bottom, there is excitement. Teams that on the top, there's excitement. We have no excitement. So they kept, so what's happened? The A-League start with eight teams. And here, if I can criticize Frank Lowy, that will be my criticism because he handled the team to John O'Neill, which come from Rugby Union, and there was no derby game. It was provisional Rugby Super League. So he said no derby. Had we started the A-League with two teams from Sydney, two teams from Melbourne, two teams from this one, we would have been as popular as AFL. And me and you will be heroes, Lucy. But that's not the, that's not the case, right? So he made the first mistake. So they start with eight teams. Then they realize that it started to get stale. So they had a team, which I was part of it, Gold Coast United or whatever. That's fall, added better team, but there was some movement, right? And they talk about expansion. So it's all movement. They talk about the, the Division two, which has become even another issue. And all of a sudden there was some interest, but in the end of the day, nothing happened because the owner of the A-League become so protective about the product and nothing happened and it's become stale product and that's it, you know? So uh, then come a bit the... Even the, the FA Cup, which is, 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 I would call it in my uh, broad English Mickey Mouse competition, create already excitement because it was come from different angles and create something. So, so all, all, uh, all this stuff. So again, I would, bl- I would blame the A-League and the, and the club owner for being protective. Now they're paying the price. They're paying the price because there's no viewing and Foxport doesn't pay money, and that's it. It's like, it's like a, a business, a milk bar. I, I got a bit of knowledge about uh, business, not because I study commerce, because I'm involved in business besides soccer all my life. And, and the rule in business is a golden rule. You know, if you don't, if you don't uh, aspire to increase the business, in the end, you go backward, you know? You can't sit on business and say, I'm happy as it is now. And that's what happened with them. And that's give us to the subject of the, of the second division or division two, you know, you have to, to wake up and you have to do it because otherwise we will, uh, the A-League is not good enough and is not a good enough product to keep by itself. So there's no league promotion relegation, no will be playoff and whatever, we will go, we will go nowhere. 
So are, we say, are we ready, Miron, for promotion and relegation? Uh, now I tell you, I tell you how I see it. A, we don't have much choice. Now, the, the second division, I'm not talking only about second division. We need to unite the game. At the moment, there is A-League and the rest of the game, and we're not united. In order to unite the game, we need to apply two principles. Principle number one is to have decision on the field, right? Like it's happened on the, all the rest of the world. It's not steering committees that decide that Canberra will be in the league, Lismo will not be in the league, South Melbourne Hellas will be in this one. So we need decision to create a competition that will go like the rest of the world, they smart as we are, that will be decision on the field. And the number two, that there will be promotion and relegation, not only between division two, division two, or whatever we call it, or, or A-League, it will be all go up to the NPL. And just on the side, we call it National Premier League, as the National Premier League, Victoria National Premier League, New South Wales. Do you see the logic about it? You know, mm. other is a National Premier League. So in my book, division two should be called National Premier League, right? So we got A-League, we got National Premier League, and then you got Victoria Premier League, uh, New South Wales Premier League, or whatever. And it should go, go all through, and right? And there will be promotion relegation from the Victoria Premier League or New South Wales Premier League or Canberra Premier League to the, to the National Premier League and from National Premier League to, to, uh, uh, to the A-League. And that's, that's you sh everyone should have a hope. If I, for example, I make Fozzie happy now. If I'm, for example, a rich man and I live in Lismo, and I want to have a Lismo in the A-League, right? So I put money into the Lismo, and it's good for football because I put money, and the team from Lismo will win the Lismo competition, then they will play against the best team from the Hunter Valley, and they will beat them, and then they will, be, they will join the New South Wales uh, uh, Premier League, and they will win, and we will win it, and then we join the National Premier League, and we will win it, and then we play promotion relegation against the against the, the Mariners, and we beat the Mariners, and Mariners relegated, and Lismo will be in the A-League. Simple, you know? And that will be exciting for everybody, everybody that's involved in football, have a hope. Who said, who said, sorry, who said that uh, someone in Cairns or people in Townsville have the donate money or in Canberra that wants to put into football, we don't give them a chance. We're crying that we don't have money in the game and we don't give a chance to people that have money and ambition to be in the game because we lock it. Because someone at the Mariner or someone at First Glory decided that it's a closed shop. No, mm -hmm. no closed shop. Are we ready? Yes, we're ready. And there will be survival of the fittest. If I come from Lismo and I put my team in the A-League and in the end of the day, I don't have money. So I'll get relegated and someone else and money will come in. That's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean we're ready? We, do we have much choice or we want to continue like this? It's a great point, a great question, because I think we can all agree that we don't want to continue like this. Before I defer to you, Stolish, to take over and ask Miron a few questions, I want to say a very special good afternoon to all of our guests joining us via our Facebook Live here. It's fantastic to have your company as always here every Wednesday. And if you are just joining us, welcome to you. We've got Nick Stoll here as always, okay, Stolich, and joining us is our special guest, Miron Blyberg. Um, please do keep your questions and your comments coming through, uh, and we'll do our very best to get through them as the show goes on. But Stolich, over to you to ask a couple of questions of Miron. 
Niran, I wanted to, you know, you talked about the owners there. I wanted to ask you a bit about your time with the Gold Coast and, and you know, you dealt with Clive Palmer. And, and, you know, to me, I always see these billionaires. It feels like you have to be crazy to be a billionaire. And we saw so many crazy things come out of that situation. Could you just tell us what it's like? To, because maybe a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to deal with some of these owners and some of the things that get demanded from it. And we, we hear a lot of criticism owners, but from your experience, what was it like with Clive Palmer? Uh, okay, I, I have the privilege to work with, with some few rich people. I was also at the Brisbane striker with Clem Jones, you know, which is also not a poor guy, was a Lord Mayor. And, uh, and I was also at a lot of dealing with Frank Lowy. You know, oh, my phone is falling. You know what's the, the funny thing about the, the rich people? Yeah. <laughs> they, when, when it's come to the public knowledge, they spend money that, like there is no tomorrow but they still can ask you why your phone bill was $150 if last month it was $140. I swear to God. Okay. That's, that's, a private, that's a private story, and I have a lot of private like this. But basically, look, with uh, Clive, Clive is... He wanted to get into soccer. I believe that he wanted before to go into the rugby league Broncos didn't work out, then the Titans didn't work out, and then he heard about me and he invited me, and his assistant uh, told me, Miron, you got 10 minutes, because he's a bit impatient person, 10 minutes to convince him why it's good to have a football team on the Gold Coast, and I passed the test. So here we are. And what did you tell I him? Had, what did you say? Sorry? What did you tell him? How did you pass that test? I want to know what you said. I wish I remember. We're getting old, Lucy. No. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I remember better what my first interview was at Melbourne, Croatia, when I got the job as a backpacker than I got with Clive. But no, I, uh, I, I realized that he wanted the, the club because he was very, 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 very rich because he got the money from the Chinese, like deposit on his uh, mining there for around 400 million. And knowing, looking at him, I'm very good in judging people. I knew that it's annoying him that no one knows who is he. Okay, so he's a rich man and no one knows about him. So uh, I told him, Clive, there is an A-League, you create a new team, we win it and whatever, and you get excellent publicity. I think probably that was the main theme of the meeting, that he will get exposure and publicity. You know? Do you think that's I why he went into he... politics afterwards? No, he wanted the publicity so people will know about him. He... I would I said it before once in Four Corner. He wanted to go from the back page of sport to the front page of uh, politics, right? So and you realize that in Australia, if you're doing sport, if you're involved in sports, so you get much more publicity than if you pay money for publicists uh, to put advertising in the paper. So that was his channel. And uh, from day one, he was. I remember the press press conference. He said we are going to be unbeaten, and I knock him on the on the knee under the table. And he said, Miron, are you nervous? I said, no, I'm just uh, letting you know that uh, you, you promise on my behalf things that I can, you know what I mean? It's a lot of fun, but that's was, that's was. So he went with all this bombastic declaration in order to, in order to get publicity, which he got. And then he went moving into politics. So he, he's smart enough to know his way. We don't have to judge him on this one. But look, in the first two years, it was uh, unbelievable. We have a great team, great facilities. We were, the only first team in Australian history is that private uh, travel around with a private jets. And uh, we had a lot of first things that we did, you know, and, uh, and we also, we finished, we finished third in the first year on the one goal or goal difference from Sydney and Melbourne victory, which 
that story by itself. I don't think that the FFA want us to be in the final because at that time final was played uh, twice before the grand final. You play first against second and Melbourne and Sydney have 40,000 people and we have 5,000. So obviously, and the money go to FFA in the final. So I leave the logic behind this to you. So everybody was happy that we finished third. And in the third year, we were just, uh, I would call it bum away from, uh, from being in the grand final against the row because we play elimination final against the Mariner and someone uh, hit the ball and it hit the bum of Zenon Caravella and changed direction. And we lost one nil in the 87 minutes to Mariners and Graham Arnold. And since then Arnold went forward and I went backward. So that's, uh, that's how it's happened. So we did very well in the first two years. And then before the start of the third year, he called me and he said, uh, look, I'm not interested to continue anymore because he started the fight with Frank Lowy, which I tell you another funny story after about rich people. And, uh, and that's it. So he cut the budget. So we have to play with, uh, we have to play with uh, the youngsters. And, uh, and that was the, the end, you know, when you don't have money and you release all your players. Shane Smeltz went here, Jason Colina went there. And we didn't have the, the team. Talking about rich people ego, I tell you one confrontation. He, Clive, had a bit of a, a bad, uh, bad blood between him and Frank Lowy, which is a different story. Anyway, so Frank rang me and told me, Miron, uh, I want you to organize for me a meeting with Clive. So I said, okay, Frank, I went to Clive. Clive, can I, uh, I want to, uh, Frank wants to meet with you. He said, okay, he can come. So I tell Frank, yeah, if, uh, Clive said whenever you want to come. So Frank said, no, he can come. So he can come to me. So Clive said, tell him that I'll send him my private jet. So Frank said, no, I'll send him my private jet, you know, and, and so on and so on. And I'm in the, in the middle. Can you imagine? <laughs> So it's better oh to my God! <laughs> <laughs> you should have told them to take the bus, Miron. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, so so that's it. So we had a lot of uh, a lot of good stories. One day, Lucy, I tell you good stories also from uh, Melbourne, Croatia. Oh, you enjoy it. They would be some fantastic stories from that time, and I know um, you would love. I just show you how many years I'm in the game. Many, many, many years ago, when I was coaching Melbourne, Croatia in the old National League. There was a good player that played for San Albans. His name was uh, Branco Colina. So he came from a trial, right? And I was a coach and he came from a trial. And uh, in the he didn't eventuate for whatever reason. I had a good midfield and he was a midfielder. And I had, uh, what is that, Joe Biskic and Steve Gojevic and all these guys that were all good superstars. And I told Branco, you're a good player, but uh, I can't fit you in the team. Anyway, uh, many, many years after, I coached his son, Jason, just to show you how old I am and how many years I've been in the game. That's, that's <laughs> the, Croatian, the Croatian angle for you. <laughs> the Croatian angle. There's a lot of Croatian angles in the game in this country, I'll tell you that yes. now. Likewise, yes. Greek angles, Italian angles, Macedonian, yes. Serbian, they're all there and they've all been a part of this rich tapestry of um, Australian football. Yes, yes. By the way, yeah. we're talking about, we're talking about uh, Croatian angle. There is another thing that uh, maybe I make people upset, including you, but uh, I'm saying what I feel like to say, especially that I don't need the game anymore for living, so I'm allowed to say it, <laughs> unlike many other people. Go uh, we're talking about the Croatian angle, uh, Mark Viduka, right? Mm -hmm. So Mark Viduka, he probably, I think, I think I watched him when I was coaching Melbourne Croatia, he was playing for under 11, under 12, and everybody already talked about him. So as a first team coach, I went to see him. He didn't know that I saw him, but I did see him. Anyway, 
the story is like this. We're talking now about this uh, Golden Generation Advisory Committee, mm-hmm. which is, uh, looks good on paper and sound good and make FFA looks good and good for the media or whatever. But again, I don't want to upset anybody, but then I'm not looking for any position. But I'm asking you a question, right? If you're going tomorrow, Lucy Zelich, to build a new house, would you give it to a builder that, that doesn't have any background in building, but it looks nice, or you give it to builders that uh, have a big resume about around him? So obviously the answer is clear, right? I'd now, give it to my father who's a builder, of course. Uh, okay, all right. Okay, but he's an experienced builder, no? Of course, he's been building. He's not doing something else and tell you, Lucy, I haven't done building. I want to build your house today. Mm -hmm. So we got this golden generation. With all due respect, if tomorrow we have to put an over 40 football team on the field, they will be the main, they will be the team and no one even argue, right? But if you have to give advisory committee to FFA how to save Australian football, so why Mark Viduka that score many goals and great play and have a coffee shop in, uh, in Zagreb or whatever, have a coffee shop, is more qualified to give advice to FFA than uh, Les Scheinflug, uh, Branko Kulina, Miron Dreiberg or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, so all this, uh, for me, it's, it's just, just flop exercise. I don't know who is in charge. FFA, Golden Generation Advisory Committee. I don't buy it. Forgive me. No, I don't think we need to forgive you on it because it's an interesting point that you make and it's certainly something that's been raised in the public um, realm of discussion around that. I think where their involvement is coming from, and I'm not advocating for one or the other, I think it's great that we have the golden generation players providing their expertise and their knowledge from the experience that they've gathered globally and putting that back into the game in the country. I see what you're saying. They haven't necessarily been here to observe what's going on in Australian football to then have an opinion on what's happening, but I think that from all the experience they've amassed it would be a crying shame Miron to see that sucked out of the game and not put back into the Australian football ecosystem don't you think uh, again I think but but it's not it's not for the way it looks to me that they the advisory committee to LFFA to solve all the problem financial problem administration problem uh, organization problem so and I don't think they are the right uh, they are the right people to do it simple as that I'm also not the right person because I don't want to do it, but I think I'm more right than they are. I've been involved in the game for 30 years. I get the kids that go through the system. I was coaching in all level. You know what I mean? So, so, so I know that Viduka can score goals better than me. So what? Uh, Miran, can I ask you something? Why do you think yes. we repeat the cycle of these problems? You know, we, we were talking about these same problems in 2005 before we established this league. I have colleagues who've been working here since the 90s and they say I was talking about this with Les and Johnny in 1993. Why do you think we never get out of the cycle? Which, that just describe me the cycle. What, that soccer is not the popular? That, what, what cycle? That, that, that we failed... Popular? To live up to our potential, the fail, the fact that we failed to have a very popular league with promotion relegation, the fact that we failed to, in every country in the world, it seems like they are much better equipped when it comes to football, whether it be first and second divisions, youth development, uh, active fans and active support and that kind of thing. Why do we keep repeating these debates and problems? I, I tell you what, I, I think, as I mentioned before, I think we were very close, you know, like you look at the second, third, fourth years of the A-League, the crowd were there. 
I, I remember in the first two years when I was coaching the row, our average of crowd was 16,000 people. Nothing wrong with it. There are many clubs in Holland and in Belgium and in England and even England second division that doesn't get 16 or 17,000 permanent. Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory, nothing wrong with it, you know? So we just, we just didn't capitalize on, on, on the success. We were on the way up and we went down, you know? Now you talk about... Uh, uh, junior development or whatever, you know, that nothing wrong again with the junior. Our junior team now doing bad, that's, uh, that's another subject because when uh, Les Scheinflug or Raul Blanco were coaching the teams, they were experienced coaches or even Ange Postacoglo, we reached a, a semi-final and final. Uh, Ned Zelic was scoring famous goal in, uh, in Holland, you know, we were in the top of the youth league and that's also help us, help us to get uh, to get our players in the top league in Europe and the golden generation, they were so good and reached the quarterfinal of the World Cup just because all of them coming from Bundesliga, from English Premier League, from the Spanish League, Aloisio, whatever, you know. And now you look at our soccer rule, if someone play for Korea or Saudi Arabia, we're already excited. Why? Because our junior doesn't reach the top football. Why is it don't reach the top football? Because they come with the resume. They, when Ned Zelic went to, to Dortmund or to Holland, he said, I was in the semi-final of, of, uh, of, uh, of the Youth World Cup, or Paul Ocon, you know? What our junior said now, we beat, we, we beat beaten by Vietnam 5-0, you know? And, 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 why, and why is this? And why is this? Because we are, uh, we are, not, uh, we are not giving uh, the coaching jobs to the right people. I'll give you another example. Maybe Lucy didn't like it or the, the general public. We have our youth coaches in the past take some, something like Ufuk Tala. He proved himself he's a good coach, right? But he was, before he came to coach New Zealand, he was coaching Australia under 19 or 18 or 17 or whatever. Shouldn't it be opposite that you're coaching the national team after you have experience in the club? Do you see a swimmer club, he coaches a national team and then he goes uh, sw club swimming or athletics or whatever? Why is all this logic upside down? So coming back to your question is, we, we're running the football wrongly. We're running the football wrongly. We're running because there's no promotion relegation. There's no exciting. The A-League keeps themselves as a, as a closed market uh, a family. There is no stream of, uh, the, the money is not distributing correctly. You know, there's a lot of a lot of reason why soccer is not. But but I tell you, and I was surprised. I thought, like many other people, that AFL or cricket or rugby league are stronger compared to us. But then come the corona and found that everybody is basically throwing the bullshit the same. You know, they don't have money and they're not running it properly either. So so basically, you know what I mean? It's 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 not only soccer problem. It's just that we are more self-criticized and we are not jumping on opportunities there. And I started at the beginning. We said, why during all the corona, you know, everybody that in rugby league got excited when the league will be open or in Aussie rules. And we, 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 we till now don't know what anything, you know, we don't know where we're standing, what we're doing, what yesterday is the first time that they said, ah, the A-League will start at such and such time. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a, we, we shooting ourselves in the foot and, and again, you know, Will we once when we have the right people on the top, then then the football will be will be right. But we were close. We were close. You know? We were close to it. The, the A League at the start were close to it, and even the National League in the old day was not there. In the days of Johnny Warren and and Les Murray, you know, people watch Australia in the World Cup or whatever. We 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 like we also like to criticize ourselves more than we deserve. That's partly answer for you. 
So do you believe then, you said there we need the right people involved in football. Do you believe that those that we have currently placed on the board and say, for example, in, in the chairman's position in the CEO roles and across the various member federations, do you believe that we don't have the right people involved as it stands? No, I don't want to say it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the most of them, okay? I know uh, Jamie Johnson as a soccer player at, uh, in uh, Brisbane. That's remind me the story of Branko Kulina. He was in trial with me at Brisbane Raw. And uh, <laughs> anyway. Mira, Miron, what happened? You were rejecting all these people who would go no, on I'm to actually, be powerful. I'm not, you know what? It's a funny story. It was between him and Massimo Madoka, right? Oh. Who will take the midfield? So Massimo Madoka will go, become great player for the Raw. And Jamie Johnson uh, became the CEO of Australian Soccer and good growth career. So um, I did the right decision. Maybe you inspired him. Your, your rejection of him as a footballer inspired him no, to I become... Didn't reje- I didn't reject him. It was... <laughs> okay, anyway, move on. No, I don't say anything that Jamie Johnson. He must be... He's a, he's a smart, smart guy and his career proved itself. But, but what I'm saying, not the right people, it's, it's how, do, how do I put it? Frank, I think also Frank Lowy made mistake, you know? Why not to get the experience, like in the old Athens, we go and we move to Croatia, to Greece, you know? In the old Athens, there was a, the, the, the square or the piazza, and the, when people want advice, they go to the eldest to ask for advice, right? So why, why in football we not go to elders to ask for advice? Take someone like Les Scheinflug. He took Australia news team for million of achievement, you know what I mean? Why you have to sit at home and no one ask him? Frank Lowe is surrounded himself in all FFAs. There was not even one football person, you know what I mean? There was John O'Neill and Matt Carroll and then Ben Buckley or whatever, you know? And then, and then what the, the last one, the solicitors that just left. David Gallup. David Gallup. David Gallup, you know what I mean? David Gallup come and said, yeah, my father, my grandfather was a supporter of Birmingham. That's what he's connected to. I remember this. That's what he's connected to, to football. You know what I mean? So, so they, they uh, I don't say they're not qualified and I don't know them. But first of all, don't keep, don't keep quiet. You know, I learned, I learned in my first stage as I started as a coach, even bad publicity is good publicity. Okay. So, so make some noise. Put, put ourselves, give, give some food to the people that love the game and, 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 and let's enjoy it, you know? Let's be, let's be less critical and let's start to, to problem one by one. And one for all, everybody agrees that second division is right. We don't have money, so don't play what don't want to play. Okay, don't play. Those that want to play will play. Those that will play in division two will go to division A-League. Those will go to A-League. If they're good enough, we'll go to Europe. You know what I mean? That's it. That's what we have, That's what we have to offer. Let's move forward. We so got can- uh, Jamie Johnson is a new new CEO, right? So there is a chaos. If if I was him, chance that's a chance for you to 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 take some action and do something. You know, sitting back, we're not going anywhere. So what do you think about the role of member federations, for example? Because that's certainly something that's been discussed at length uh, throughout this COVID nineteen period. What do you mean, like federation as the Victoria Federation and Victoria New South Wales? I mean, you said it before. You touched on it in the way of you know we need the game to be unified. And one of the biggest criticisms, Miron, when it comes to these member federations is that they are all doing their own thing and rowing their own boats in different directions. The game is okay. certainly not unified. So, do they have something to answer for when you talk about the game not being unified here? What's your view? Because the system forced them to be unified. Let's go back to the example that I gave you. Imagine that there is some streamline, right? That the champion, the three teams from Victoria and the three teams from New South Wales and two from there, some key on some key, they are qualified. They are qualified 
to play to play for the playoff for division for division uh, for the division two, right? And whatever. So all of a sudden, we unified the game because the team from this team from this they play playoff. They have to be together. The whatever. So so that you unify them through competition on the field. To unify them through talking and through meeting, it not work. Victoria has their own competition. New South Wales have their own competition. A League have their own competition. So let's call some streamline from the Division Four. The team in Division Four tomorrow that me and you will establish Canberra, Canberra Four. You know can go to the A League. You know that unified the game. That's how it happened in England. That's how it happened all over the world. We have a common goal. We want to reach the top. But so the federation is outcome of the separation in the football on the field. That's my opinion. But as, as per administrative way, you know, it's a, I don't think that I'm qualified and I don't think that the golden generation qualified to solve the problem. Stolich. Uh, yeah, Miran, I wanted to ask you uh, back at your time when you were with Gold Coast, one of the, the more memorable moments was the very first game against Brisbane Raw. And we, we've been talking lately about the, the best memories that we've had of the A-League. And one of our favorite memories was when Gold Coast obviously won the first game uh, 3-1 uh, against Brisbane. But in the press conference, in the lead up to it, you sent a cardboard cutout instead of yourself to the press conference. Can you just talk us through how that happened? What was going on? Who sent the cardboard cutout? How did it get there? I, I tell you what, I didn't send the... There was actually, I think SBS was involved or whatever. Uh, Frank Farina replaced me as a coach at the, at the Raw under a bit of, uh, we call it cloudy circumstances. And uh, I don't wanted anything. There was a home game for the Raw. And at that time, I was uh, quite, uh, I wouldn't say I was younger and less, uh, less uh, refined, you know, and uh, the Raw people upset. Uh, didn't want to do anything with them. So they wanted me to come to some show of press conference with Frank Farina, which I wasn't interested. I think it was organized also by SBS was part and involved. And I didn't want to come. So they decided that they uh, put uh, a cardboard of mine. So it was nothing to do with me, but as the story went, you know, so it's... Uh, well, what was your most memorable press conference, do you think? What's the one you'll never forget? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was one I think it was shown in one of your uh, island. There was Ellen Hunter I think worked for uh, Fox Sport at the beginning and we beat Newcastle, including Ned Zelich five nil right, and uh, and after we have some two draws or whatever and there was some bad and I I had the rumors that he is like uh, undermining. All of a sudden, he stands with a microphone and asking me some question. Yeah. And I saw him, and I had a rush of blood. Now we see, I see him in parties and in function, and he used to be my player, so he's good. But at that time, I saw him and I had a rush of blood. And I start to talk about myself as a third body. Miron Bleiberg is a good coach. So I remember that I was embarrassed after, but that was, <laughs> that was, a, that was a memorable one. The one that Clive said that we will never get uh, unbeaten was good. I tell you another good memory that I have. The first ever away game that we had, we went to Adelaide and we came with a private jet. First ever in the history of sport in Australia. No Collingwood, no Broncos, nothing. And we were, we were landing in the airport 
And there was through the barbed wire or through the fence, you can see all this TV camera, all the channels and all this one and private people. And we going down from the private jet and walking to the tarmac, you know, and, and the cameras galore waiting for us or whatever. And many, many, many years after, not lot long ago, there was anniversary of the first Beatles uh, visit in Australia. And they also landed in Adelaide with all the cameras or whatever. So can you imagine what went through my mind? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, but uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of great, uh, a lot of great stories. I, uh, I, I remember what, yeah, anyway, let's. Uh... <laughs> one of the things, Miron, that we loved about you so much was that, and, and still do appreciate about your existing qualities is how much of a character you were. And you brought narratives to the sport that I feel like we're really lacking at the moment in the A-League. I think everyone has become so sanitized and so conscious of what they're saying that they don't want to ruffle feathers or they don't want to tell it how it is. Um, why has it been one of your, I guess, uh, it's one of your staples really, but why was it important for you to retain your sense of self throughout your coaching career? A, because it's a combination. I think I, one of the things that I don't like, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the not not many people in football are good people, right? There are more bad people than good people. Whether in the, and that's including the football media, and that's including the football administration, and the football politics, and the soccer players, and coaches, and whatever. And I, all the time, I think I, I was different from most of the people that involved in soccer, that I always made sure that my life will not be dependent on soccer. That it's not if the top of the boot of Ned Zelich will depend where my wife and my kids will grow up and will live. If you'll score the goal, that's it. And if not, so I all the time made sure that if tomorrow there is no soccer, or I got the sack or whatever, I can, I, I standing on stable foot and I have good foundation, right? Unlike many, many, many other people. And therefore, and I did well, I did well, I live a life of luxury and I'm not complaining. And therefore, that's what allowed me to say what I, to say what I feel and not be double faces and then leading maybe to be, for me to be different than other. Like, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's like a, a common said, like, uh, Muran, what do you say about your next game against uh, Canberra? And I said, ah, Lucy Zelich is a very organized coach. She's a good tactician. And I, I, I expect a tough match, you know? That's probably you expect from me. Although I don't know how you're coaching and I don't know if you, you're a good tactician or whatever, but that's it, you know? And I hate it. I would say, Lucy Zelich, she may be a good journalist, but I don't think about qualification as a coach, but I think that I have the upper hand. That's my answer. <laughs> and it's a good answer because you'd be right. I, I definitely have no aspirations to be a coach. I want to talk about, though, before you got into football and, 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 and extend all the way back to your journey. You were born in Israel. You grew up there um, and you were also a part of the Navy. You were a captain, I believe yeah. that's true. Can you tell us about your journey um, and, and how it actually brought us to you and here in Australia? Okay. Uh, I can't remember so many years ago, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> you're not that old. You still no, look pretty no. damn good, all right, Miriam. You're okay. I, was, uh, I come from Haifa, which you have the famous team, Maccabi Haifa, and I was part of the junior setup. I was, I'm a funny guy. I'm right-handed by left-footer. So being a left-footer, you know, in the football team, you need five of each side, except for the center, or four of each side. And there's always more right than left. So I have an advantage. I always find myself in the team because I was left. 
So I was left footer and I was good player. By the age of 16, I was already training with the first team. But then at, at my time in Israel, the rule was that everybody is a compulsory to be drafted to the army or to the navy or to the air force. Unless you're in the top uh, three players in your team, cl every club have to nominate three players that they can get exemption from being in the, yeah, on the, on the, in the, in the, in joining the forces. And I was uh, good, but not the top, top good. And especially that I was a bit uh, an odd because I came from a private school. I wasn't the typical uh, football player. I came from the, the, the better suburb. My father was engineer. My mother was an architect. So I was a bit on an odd between the, between the footballing community even in Israel. Israel football is like uh, rugby league and, uh, and basketball is like rugby union if you understand the analogy. And, uh, and that's it. So I drafted to the Navy and I was, uh, so I said it's better to be an officer than to be a soldier. I like to give instruction, not to get instruction. So I went to an officer course, which is two years, like what you see an officer and a gentleman. Have you seen this movie with Richard Yes, yes with so similar, similar to this. And uh, that was the end of my uh, footballing career. Although I was a captain, we have every year traditional uh, Air Force tournament, you know, which is quite good because all the everybody in the Navy, so basically everybody played there between the Navy, the Air Force, the, the whatever. And I was a captain of the Navy for two years and we reached the final and I was competing with all these players that was supposed to be better than me. But that was the end of my, when I finished my service, I went to university, study business and commerce, and then start to play in the second division. And about the age of, that was the age of 23, 24. And so I played second division, quite a good player, captain of my team because I was slightly smarter than the other. And then uh, happened to me that they sank the coach and I become caretaker coach and uh, I like it. So I went to do a coaching course. Long story short, finished my university, had a bit of business and then got married. And my father-in-law was a captain on the merchant sea uh, and container ship. And lucky for me, at the go to Australia, he asked me if I want to join with my new married wife, his daughter, to the trip to Australia, and I came to Australia. So I came as a backpacker in the age of 29, 1984. Someone introduced me to your second beloved club, Melbourne, Croatia, mm -hmm. and uh, I coached. They gave me the under 16. I did very well. They gave me the under 18. I, gave very, I did very well. And then uh, the first team didn't do well, and they waited. That was the time of the war, 85, 86. And the coach, they brought the coach, Kapitanovic, who was famous Croatian international, supposed to come, but the authority in the Belgrade didn't give him the visa. So they made me a caretaker coach, and uh, I did very well. <laughs> I think we were top. There was division, North Division, Southern Division. And I did very well, and, uh, and then he arrived. So I become his assistant. And by the end of the year, they decided that the assistant is better than the coaches. And they send him back home, and they make me against the coach. And, uh, and that's it. So, that's, that's was, uh, so by the age of 29, I was coaching in the National League, you know. And, uh, and that's it. Then I did the crime. I, do, I won with them. We won the Einstein Cup, which was the winner between the, the winner of the division of North Division, South Division, we play against Sydney, Croatia. In the final at Olympic Park, 20,000 people full to capacity. Sydney, Croatia with Graham Arnold, Graham Jennings, Jacob, 
Rosich, all these guys, and they did some sweet one. And I was a cost of the town, and that's it. And then, uh, but then I did the biggest crime ever. You know what was the biggest crime? I lost the dog in the Cotswold, the Serbian team. And that was the start of the end of me. <laughs> and uh, the, the star of, of the Footscray was a guy by the name of Luka Bonacic, which then they found out that he's actually Croatian. So they asked him to come to Melbourne, Croatia, and he said, only if I'll get the coaching job. So that's it. That I found it after, obviously, you know. So that's it for me. And then uh, I went to coach Polonia, won with them championship in the State League. Croydon won with them championship in the State League. Went to Heidelberg, saved them from relegation, but then uh, someone else uh, got the coaching job. And then they moved to Brisbane. I was the first coach of Brisbane United, a Brisbane striker, you know. Have a good two years, finished with them sixth and fifths, only with local boys. And then they went to coach uh, North Star, won with them the championship. And then Brisbane Lions, I think I won a championship out of 10 years. And for Brisbane Lions, that was the, the, the mother of the Brisbane Rose. So obviously, I was a natural choice to be the raw coach, and the, the rest you know. The rest is the yeah, story. the rest, as they say, is history. So I did, I did quite well. I can't complain. I did quite well. And meanwhile, I uh, always have some side business. A lot of president and the uh, club owners that were rich, I just saw in me that I'm interested in the business side of the club. So they join also in private business. And uh, I did some few business, few development here, development there. And that's it. And now I can play golf and talk to you. That's what I was going to say. That's why you're enjoying golf and tennis every other day. Oh, a few comments coming through before we look to wrap up shortly and we'll defer to you for a couple of more questions, Stolich. Mark Silver, this is fantastic. Keep Miron on as a regular. Scott Lynch, I've missed most of the interview, but good afternoon to you, Scott. Thanks for joining us now. Um, and for those of you are that um, have just joined us, please continue to stay on. We've got Miron Blyberg as our special guest. Uh, but he asks, but why aren't you coaching Miron? You're a great manager. Such good days when I was a foundation member at Gold Coast United. Come back to the A-League. Um, can you answer that question for Scotty? I mean, we asked you earlier and off air as well if you'd ever consider coming back to coaching. But is that something that's totally off the agenda for you now? Or could you be enticed? To come back. Yeah, it's off. When I finish coaching with the Gold Coast, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a proud person. I don't know where it's come from, but I'm not uh, chasing a job or asking or using agent and said, there was no, somehow there was no demand. I think I left a bit of a bitter taste with uh, Clive. Clive was hated by the soccer community and I was his uh, right-hand man, so didn't help me a lot. And, uh, and that's it. The only one day I went to visit some friends in Victoria because when I came to Australia, I live in Melbourne and the people of Oakley become friendly with me. And I had a good time there. And even last, even that I stopped coaching them because I was, couldn't do it anymore. They so we still friends. And uh, I spent the last holiday weekend in one of the holiday house in Cretin, you know, with a few of the committee people. And it was a great time. So I'm still in touch with the Oakley, but there was no demand for my uh, services. And, and I don't know, again, we're talking about the eldest and the experience. You see in, uh, in uh, England, they're still using, uh, what is his name? The one that used to be at uh, Crystal Palace, the English coach, uh, Hodgson. Roy. Roy Hodgson. And there was uh, other coaches uh, that is not uh, roughly in, in my age. And here there are people that is, is good in football, like mentioned my name, Branko Colina, or, or other people. And our services is not required. They're all going for... For the young, and I'm, I tell you, I'm, I'm too proud to chase a job. So uh, 
that that's who I am. And now I'm not even interested. Mm. There was some stage that, but that's it. That's uh, that's life. You have to know. I have my time under the sun, and I accept it. <laughs> and again, had I needed to do for living, I would bite and and and, and fight and and step over people. But we discuss it. I don't want to repeat it. You know where I'm coming from. Yeah. You know me by now. We do know you by now. That's why you're here. And we're so delighted that you're joining us. Stolich, a couple more questions before we move on. Yeah, Miron, I always uh, admired that you always loved attacking football. And you always, you know, I think even once you said, I would rather lose one game 6-0 than six games 1-0 or something. You, you, your teams were always attacking. And even at Brisbane, at Gold Coast, uh, I think everyone knows that. I just wanted to know who are the teams and players that you really like to watch or that you've really enjoyed either, you know, in your own personal capacity or just on TV. Now, now we're seeing the big European leagues come back. Premier league is back tomorrow. La Liga is already back. Bundesliga is back. Which players, which teams really make you enjoy football and why? Uh, look, I, uh, I enjoy to, to, to watch teams that play, for example, Sydney FC with, uh, and, and, and with Ninkovic, because Sydney FC without Ninkovic, I'm not enjoying. But whenever I see Sydney FC with Ninkovic, I enjoy to watch. Uh, Brisbane Row with Broich, uh, I enjoy to watch. So, uh, so there is a Gold Coast United with Jason Kulina and Shane Smells, I enjoy to watch. You know, that's, that's the team that, uh, that's the teams that, uh, that, that I like to watch. In England, I tell you, I grew up my father was a was an Arsenal supporter, and I myself the first ever English team that I saw live was Tottenham when they come to visit in Haifa, right? So I Tottenham supporter. But but whenever any teams that playing good football in in England, that's the teams that I love at the moment, and uh, and and it's uh, so it used to be Manchester United with a Beckham generation, and it used to be Chelsea under Mourinho. So I don't have any or AC Milan in the high times, you know. So and uh, Ajax in the high times. So I like to watch uh, uh, football that catch my eyes, you know. But I don't disagree, for example, that uh, to play defensive. There is a time for time for everything. But even defensive football, you can play. You can play in the right way. But I like to watch uh, good footballer, you know. So Broich and Inkovic, that's 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 my uh, that's my type of player. In the old days, was uh, Ned Zelich and... Uh... <laughs> now you're being a smartass. Um, no. we got some questions no, coming. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> this, this name you'll recognise, Michael Swade. Shout out to you, Swadey. Great to have your company here with us on Facebook Live. He said, ask Miron about Wellington. I would rather lose one game 6-0 than six games 1-0. And that's what you refer to. Just yes, yes, yes. Now. We were playing, we were playing in... Uh, in Wellington, and uh, I tell you another funny story. Yeah, we lost six nil, and uh, Paul Ocon was uh, my assistant at the time, and uh, the coach. What was the name of coach of uh, New Zealand after coach New Zealand uh, of Auckland? Uh, Herbert was it? Ricky Herbert. Herbert? Ricky Herbert. Yeah, Herbert. he was start dancing in front of our bench, and the reason that we lost was because our goalkeeper uh, at the time, the first goalkeeper, got injured at halftime. And he said he might continue. And then in the last moment, he said that he couldn't play. So the second goalkeeper didn't even have a... Uh, Scott Higgins didn't even have time for a warm-up, right? So, uh, and there was a wind blowing because one of the signs of the wind almost cut my head to, to twice, you know? There was metal metal uh, sideboard around the field and they're flying around. 
it was unbearable condition, but FFA want to continue the game because otherwise they have to fly us again, you know, to New Zealand and it's so on. So we keep playing, second goalkeeper not warm up and we cop, uh, we cop six, okay? And I said what I said at the, at the press conference, but the funny in the breakfast in the morning after, <laughs> so, so you know, as a play, soccer player, I have a great sense of humor. That's something that I miss. So we're sitting in breakfast, and I was sitting with uh, Shane Smells and uh, Scott Higgins on the table together for breakfast. I like to mix with the players, although I'm, I'm quite tough with them, but I like to mix with them. Anyway, we're sitting on the breakfast table, and I uh, asked Smeltzy, how was the night? And he told me, listen, I didn't sleep because I was on a suicide watch because I didn't want Scott Higgins to do something after he caught five goals, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I asked Scott Higgins, is that true? He said, listen, I tell you something. They should put a status of me, a status of me in the main street in, the, in Wellington because they would never score five goals like this in their life. So that's the type of jokes that we have. So it's not only me. We all laughed about it. But look, after we cop 6-0, we still finished third on the ladder. And I think Wellington finished somewhere on the bottom. So that's a sign of true champions. And Michael Twait, Michael Twait was a big, big, big part of the success of Gold Coast. Yeah, no, thank you for that question, Thwaiti. I hope you're still watching, mate. You're doing fabulous things with your football journey now. Um, that's football, mate, it's called. Guys, go and check it out. You can see it via his Instagram page. Uh, Miron, we'll run through a quick uh, few number of news items before we wrap up the show. It's been such a joy to have you, and we've had an overwhelming response from everyone tuning in to today's show. They've just loved you uh, here with us. But um, I want to talk very briefly about the great work that Marcus Rashford uh, Stolich has been doing overnight in the UK. He's raised a, a fabulous amount of money um, after a campaign that he led for children uh, in England. About 1.3 million kids will be able to claim free school meal vouchers in the summer holidays. It's fantastic stuff and a lot of people praising him for his efforts at the moment. Standing, standing ovation for Marcus Rashford. Standing ovation for Marcus Rashford. Incredible. Uh, to me, to me, it's ridiculous that there was an even a political argument over this. Obviously, there are kids in England who are going without food because the school provides food for them through their system over there. So I think, yeah, 1.3 million kids without food is completely ridiculous. A kid should never go without food anywhere in the world, but especially, you know, in a country like England that has money, that is a very rich country. So it's a shame on the politicians that it took Marcus Rashford and his activism to make it happen. But it's a good thing that um, it's happening and Marcus Rashford has done a wonderful thing and a very young player as well. Something to think about, is that fair that football player earning on average in the English Premier League about £100, £1,000 a week and there are 1.3 million kids with no food. I think we also lost proportion there somewhere. Mm, it's Correct? A it's yeah. a great question but you know is it the players fault Miron or can we blame the marketplace um you know football is a global sport now and there's such a high demand for it it's the most popular sport on the planet as we know it may not be in Australia but um you know can we criticize the players for the money that they're earning or do we have to look at the system itself I think it's a it's a problem of uh, of society you know all over you know we're moving a bit away from football the disparity of, of earning between people and the uh, uh, people in the world, you know, it's impossible that people will sleep in the street and other people doesn't know what to do with the money. So it's some, and I believe that all these uh, uh, latest uh, demonstration in United States because of the murder of Floyd or or by police or whatever is is it's just the, the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's it's expressing much more that people don't listening, not disciplined. If they even the demonstration in Australia, 
the prime minister and the premiers asked not to demonstrate that people go to the street and demonstrate because they seek and tired to listen because they believe that the, the authorities betray them. Look what's happening in the world, you know, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 and, and it starts with football too, you know what I mean? I never accepted it that, that uh, soccer players are just a bit 20 years old that they're earning so much money more than his father can earn in a lifetime. You know? mm -hmm. Something wrong in the system, but that's for different discussion. It's brought up a lot of social issues, that's for sure. Um, one final thing before we sign off, uh, we have to mention, of course, that we're about eight days away from finding out whether or not Australia and New Zealand will earn the right to host the Women's 2023 World Cup bid. Uh, Miron, we voted or polled by the, uh, the FIFA technical evaluation report at the very top of the pile. So we are leading uh, Japan are in second place while Colombia rated third. It is ultimately down to the vote, which will occur. But um, what are your feelings and thoughts around whether or not we'll be able to get the World Cup here in Australia for the first time? I, uh, I think that we have a good chance. You know, everybody realized that Australia and New Zealand is one of the best and the safest part of the world. And today with security issue and the Corona issue, whatever, I think uh, we're placing very well. And uh, I, I was quite, I was very surprised about women's soccer because uh, when we, in the 90s or whatever, it looked like something that no one wanted to touch and I never bothered to watch women's soccer, but uh, it's developed over the years and uh, I quite enjoy it. World Cup soccer is not much behind uh, uh, a men's soccer because it's like the soccer, the naive soccer without all the, the dirty stuff and then whatever. So if uh, I think it will be good for our game overall, if Australia obviously uh, will get the World Cup. And again, I think from political point of view, if I was FIFA, there is no better place in Australia and New Zealand. It's only, obviously, you are the expert regarding broadcasting time and, uh, and whatever, what in our time is in Europe in the middle of the night or whatever, which is always an issue. And then the logistic and whatever. But uh, look, why not? And I think also the cooperation between Australia and New Zealand it's good. And that's also bring me, if we go back to where we started about second division and whatever, you know, maybe New Zealand should be more involved. We just open the horizon a bit more money come into the game. Probably some few rich people in New Zealand that uh, wanted to have a team in second division. Let, let's make it happen. I couldn't agree more. Miron, it has been such a treat to have you with us here on The World Game. Uh, we've been fans of yours throughout your entire football coaching career journey. You are welcome back here anytime. The fans have absolutely loved you that have tuned in via our Facebook feed. So thank you. It's great to see that you're safe and well and that hopefully your family are doing just as well too. Uh, but please take care of yourself and um, and make sure that you, uh, you work on your golf handicap and your tennis swing and uh, join us whenever you feel like it. Thank you, Lucy. And I saw behind Nick the the photo of my good friend Les Murray, and I think you're doing as good as good job as he. Is. So keep keep doing the good job, you and Nick. And pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to everybody tuning in, thanks so much for your company. We've really appreciated your comments. Of course, it's been a robust chat with the great Miron Blyberg, a true legend and icon in Australian football. And we look forward to many more chats with him for all of the stories and discussions that we have had here today. By all means, head to the World Game website for all of your analysis. And football, thankfully, is returning. And we here at SBS are so thrilled to be able to show you the Coppa Italia final tomorrow between Juventus and Napoli. Myself and Foz will be live on air from 4.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's so great to be getting up at these hours. Who would have thought we'd be saying that? But football is back, baby, and we are so looking forward to covering that match and so much more here at SBS. Nick Stoll, my great thanks to you. And like I said, everybody tuning in, it's been a real pleasure. But until next week, goodbye for now on behalf of everyone here at the World Game Team. Goodbye.